Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. On this week of Uncharted Careers, I talk with Dr. Sadaf Lodi about her experience becoming a gynecologist, working in private practice, hospitals and clinics, and then expanding into life coaching, where she now also does one-on-one intimacy coaching with clients. She has so much drive and determination when it comes to helping women understand their bodies and have good intimate relationships. She just keeps on finding new ways to spread knowledge and share information. Dr. Sadaf started her own podcast, The Muslim Sex Podcast, to more publicly have these conversations that can have really meaningful impact on women's lives. Dr. Sadoff is really inspiring to talk to, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. If you did, please leave a rating and review for Uncharted Careers wherever you listen to podcasts, and please share this episode with a friend. Well, you know, I actually am in the process of getting ready to present my TED Talk, which I'm super excited about. Wow. I have a, a TED Talk coming up on Saturday. So I've been practicing a lot. I'll be honest, I um, up until last week, I didn't have it completely memorized, which I know is like a huge faux pas. <laughs> I'm like, everybody was like, ah, how's that going to happen? But um, I made it work. I was focused and I was like, oh my God, I cannot screw this up. <laughs> wow, that's so, exciting. What is the topic? Yeah. So. I'm really excited. Um, so it's called uh, Sex Education for Doctors, Lessons from a Muslim Gynecologist. Very cool. So who are you trying to reach with the TED Talk? Who would be your key demographic? Yeah. So, you know, here I'm talking to everyone, but mostly to like medical schools and residencies and saying that we as physicians do not get properly trained about sexual health if we you know, do it all. And, and that it's really lacking. And that physicians, you will be surprised. I would say, I don't know, maybe like 90% of physicians do not get any training at all in sexual health and really feel uncomfortable when patients ask us because we don't have the answers. We don't know unless we're like, we ourselves are like Googling or, you know, we'll look up in some textbook or something like that. But unless you really make, um, you know, become intentional and really have that as a focus for you in terms of learning more about sexual health. You just kind of let it go by the wayside. And, you know, we'll just make some slight comment here, slight comment here, you know, patient and be like, oh, maybe you need a new partner, or maybe you just, you know, maybe it's menopause or something like, you know, some like stupid answer that doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Um, Instead of really understanding what the you know, what the root cause of the patient's problem is. So yeah. Wow, that's really exciting. I'm excited to listen to it. Well, that leads us into my first question. So tell me more about what you do today. So I'm an OBGYN. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist. And for people who may not know what that is, I deliver babies and I focus on women's health. So it's a specialty focused solely on um, women's reproductive health, but really just women's health in general. And I'm still currently practicing that, but, and I also have a telehealth practice now, which focuses on sexual health, menopause, perimenopause. 
and I'm about to open up a real office. Uh, I wasn't, I was hesitant to do that. I wasn't sure. But then I think that especially for something as important as sexual health, you know, women, because my focus is women, um, they, you know, they want to be examined. They want to make sure there's nothing wrong. And I think for something as sensitive as that, you know, people really want to be seen in person. So I think that's what I'm going to do in the beginning of this year coming up. Okay. Where is your office going to be located? Uh, it'll probably be in Westchester, New York. Yeah. Okay, great. When did you decide that you wanted to be an OBGYN? Uh, was it during medical school? Or did you know earlier than that that you wanted to go into that specific field? Yeah, so I always Oh, and one thing I didn't tell you is that I'm a sex coach. So I'm an intimacy mm-hmm. coach. So that was like the most important part of the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't tell you. So what I do is I help uh, women and people move forward in their relationships. So if they have some um, negative thoughts or something that's holding them back, for example, you know, regarding body image, or uh, some women experience vaginismus, or that they're just stuck in their relationship, they don't know how to move forward. I, I help them with that. So with, I basically help women uh, remove mental and physical barriers um, so that they can experience pleasure in their relationship. Wow. Yeah, that's important work. Yeah, yeah. So you were saying you had asked, when did I know I wanted to be a physician and an OBGYN? So, you know, actually, um, that decision was made for me when I was five. Okay. <laughs> so my mom, anytime um, anybody would ask my parents, specifically my mom, and say, you know, what is what is Sadaf going to be or whatever. And before I could even answer, she would say, oh, she's going to be a doctor. And so I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but really, though, to be honest, as I grew older and, you know, started thinking for myself, I, I was really good in the sciences. And, um, and that was something that I did want to become. And, uh, and so, but really, I didn't know what. And it wasn't until I became a medical student that I decided I wanted to be an OBGYN. And to be honest, during my first C-section ever as a medical student, I passed out. I was wow. like, this movie is so gross. I'm like, I'm never going to do this. What did you think after that? Like, uh oh, everything I've been planning for maybe is not the plan for me. You know, so like at that time, I didn't even know that I wanted to be an OBGYN. I just knew I wanted to do something because I majored in biochemistry. And so I was really interested in like chemicals and the way that like hormones worked in the body and things mm-hmm. like that. Okay. And so I thought I wanted to be like a reproductive endocrinologist or an or an infertility specialist, or just even an endocrinologist. So then I, I shadowed somebody that was an endocrinologist. And, and all they did all day was like diabetes and thyroid. And, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is so boring. I cannot do this. <laughs> and then, um, and then I also uh, spent a little bit of time with an infertility doc. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. And mm-hmm. the way to become an infertility doc is to do OBGYN. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I have to kind of like this stuff. So, <laughs> so I spent mm-hmm. more and more time doing it. And, you know, obviously, I fell in love with it. And I do really, really enjoy women's health. So yeah, what was more exciting to you about the infertility side versus the endocrine and hormone side? Yeah, so, so so the reproductive endocrinology and infertility, the reason why that was more interesting to me is because it was I don't know. Endocrinology, I just felt like was so boring. You know, it was like internal medicine. It was just like, I don't know, I felt like they were just seeing like diabetes and the numbers and not really, you know, there wasn't, 
it was more like mental, I guess I would say, mm -hmm. like academic, as opposed to like OBGYN and infertility docs, which were more like hands-on, you know, they were okay. they were doing things with their hands, but they're also using their brain. And I felt like with OB, you did both. You were, it was, it's a surgical specialty, so you're using your hands. And it's also, you know, very like um, cerebral. So you're always trying to figure out like, well, you know, if this is going on with the patient, you know, how could we do this? What could we change this and that? So I felt I was able to use both sides of my brain as opposed to just, you know, very cerebral and just being in the office and dealing with numbers all day. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a very person centric approach. And um, just knowing you a little bit, it seems like you really care about individuals and want to understand what is going to be best for them. So I can see why that side based on your description seems a little bit more appealing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and you know, OB, especially when you're like a single person. I mean, I was at that time when I was doing residency, I was single and um, it really appealed to me because I just figured like, you know, if and when I ever got married, if I didn't like my spouse, it didn't matter. I would just throw myself into my work and I'd never have to yeah. see them anyway, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully for me, I do like my spouse and I do enjoy my That's children. Good. So I feel a little torn between, you know, having to work and be on call all the time and then missing some events with them and then also trying to help patients and things like that. But um, OB is, you know, can be very exciting. And it's um, one of those specialties that we call hurry up and wait, where you're, you know, some things happen really fast and then sometimes you're waiting a long time. And it's really one of the only specialties that for the most part is a predominantly happy field. In medicine, you know, not all the fields you go to um, is like a happy field. You know, if you have a cold or there's something going on with you, you know, you go to a doctor and it's not always an exciting time. But with OB, you know, you're you get to be part of uh, the next stage of this person's life and you help them with, you know, one of the most important gifts. And it's really great. Yeah, that's such an important point. I've never thought about it like that. But yeah, that is going to be a happy point in somebody's life if they are in this process and you get to guide them through such a special time. Um, yeah. Th yeah, that's a really unique perspective I hadn't thought about before. Yeah, so it's, it's so, great. Yeah. So after residency, what was the next step for you? Yeah, so I worked in a lot of settings. I worked in some academic settings. I worked in... Um, clinics, I worked in private practices. And I would say, so I've been an OBGYN in practice outside of residency now for 19 going on 20 years. And I would say that one of the most fulfilling jobs that I've had um, has been working in the clinic, which has been with individuals that don't have insurance that typically don't speak any English. Um, and they have very limited access to care. And I find that to be the most fulfilling because I find that, you know, a, a lot of us, some of us, you know, are privileged enough to have insurance and to get the care that we need when we want it and when we need it. But oftentimes these other individuals um, that, you know, sometimes are undocumented and um, really need care. And so I really enjoy that. And I find that it's really putting my um, degree to to good use, which, you know, is, is important. So I find that to be really gratifying. And I, I really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. What are the cons to working in clinics? Well, you know, some of the cons could be that, you know, things don't always run on time, which can be a little bit, you know, tough. It can also be that, 
you know, patients don't always speak English. So we need translators. We need, um, you know, uh, we use, oftentimes we use um, apps that translate, you know, or like a, a translating service, which you need Wi-Fi. And sometimes the Wi-Fi in the clinic doesn't always work that well. So then you get disconnected in the middle of talking, trying to talk to a translator, you know, so that, I mean, I think that's one of the downsides. And, you know, oftentimes, Patients, sometimes they need further therapies, right? So I get a lot of patients uh, for infertility. And, you know, um, I don't really have very many resources to offer them because, as we know, going to an infertility specialist is very expensive. And um, oftentimes these individuals don't have any resources, really. And, um, And so I can't help them as much as I'd like to. I mean, sure, I can tell them of a place to go, but... It doesn't mean that they'll get care at that place because if they don't have the money, they're not going to be able to, you know, get those services. So yeah, so I think that's what's tough about about clinics um, is that resources are definitely limited. Do you have any sort of insider tips for resources that are available to lower income folks or even free resources that may be available? Um, in terms of just in general in GYN or gynecology or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, you know, what I would suggest is that for anyone, um, anyone at all that, you know, wants to go to a healthcare clinic, definitely go to a clinic. You should not sacrifice your health, you know, and oftentimes those clinics will have sliding scales based on the income of the individual. So they will only charge you, you know, as much as you can afford. Uh, and oftentimes is very reasonable. And um, they will also be able to navigate the system for you. So, you know, if you're in need of like a social worker, if you're in need of another specialist, whatever, oftentimes they have like some negotiations with some practices, you know, that will be able to see you at a lower cost. There's also Mm -hmm. programs offered by, you know, different states like cancer screening programs. So those are often free to individuals and um, they can offer, you know, they offer basics, but at least they offer like a pap smear and a mammogram for individuals that may need it. Um, Also, they have colon cancer screenings as well. So, I mean, there are resources, absolutely, you know, and I think it's, it's important that people know. Yeah. And tell me about opening up your own telehealth practice. How did you decide to do that? And what were the steps that you took in order to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I decided uh, earlier this past year that I wanted to, um, so I do work, I I still do work in a clinic and I still deliver babies, but I wanted to do something for myself and I've always been an entrepreneur. I had a uh, a business in 2016 and through 2018, and I ended up closing it uh, just because of, there wasn't just there just wasn't enough volume. But so I decided that I wanted to serve patients. You know, oftentimes what happens, I think another thing that is an issue when you go to like a, a clinic or even a doctor's office, whatever, is you have very limited time. You have like maybe 15 minutes with that physician or you know practitioner, whoever, and. Oftentimes, patients just do not get the services that they need or the attention, you know, and it's really just unfortunate because we are rushing, 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 trying to go from one patient to the other. What um, kind of motivated me to start my own telehealth was that I wanted to give patients that individual time, you know, the time that they just don't get in the doctor's office. 
um, and to focus on perimenopause and menopause and sexual health. And to be honest, we as physicians really do not get, even as an OBGYN, do not get much training at all in sexual health or perimenopause or menopause. And it's really unfortunate because then, you know, where do patients go when they need help with those um, kind of things? So that was really the real motivation of why I started up my own practice is one, I wanted to spend more time with patients, uh, more than 15 minutes, because in 15 minutes, there's just no way that you can even get to, you know, sometimes it takes 15 minutes for a person to just even verbalize why they're there, right? And so let alone for the whole visit, it's just not enough time. And, um, and second, I wanted to focus on areas that just are not focused on at all and, you know, that are disregarded. And so, um, yeah, so that was my motivation for starting up my telehealth. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's very exciting. How long are your visits now for those telehealth visits? Yeah, so there usually depends on, you know, the initial consultation is typically like an hour long okay. um, and then follow up visits are a half hour. Okay, gotcha. And how are you finding new patients? Um, really through my social media and through word of mouth. And so I have uh, a presence on social media. It's at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN and both on my in, uh, TikTok and Instagram. And mm-hmm. then also I have a newsletter that we send out. I have a blog. I have the podcast, right? <laughs> the Muslim Sex Podcast. And um, so all of those, I have a YouTube channel. So all of those platforms I use to advertise and let people know um, that I have this telehealth. Yeah. I mean, you're doing so much. Have you found that there are certain marketing channels that work better for you than others? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that if you use the wrong words with social media, that you get shadow banned. Um, So I've found that to be a little bit frustrating, especially with sexual health being a taboo topic. Um, if you use, you know, the word like orgasm or use, you know, vaginal health or sexual health or something like that, it starts to flag your account, which has been highly frustrating. And so definitely the reach that I had initially on, say, my platform, which is like TikTok, has significantly gone down because of um, and it, it told me before initially that, you know, it was banning something for some content but i think like the platform had done that twice and so then it just really just does not circulate your content very uh far which is unfortunate because i just feel like it's certain uh such an important niche and uh, important that we get out the proper information because i feel like a lot of times you know like where do people get their sexual health right i mean if they're not getting it from their doctors if their doctors are are not trained then where are they going? They're going on the internet. They're going to porn. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I, I think people just have to figure it out, I guess, you know? And and then if you think about it, you know, like not everyone comes from a sex positive uh, community or environment, right? And so then they may grow up with a lot of sex negativity that um, they're not able to navigate. And then they, you know, without realizing it, right, maybe they're not intentional about it, but, you know, they bring it into their relationship and then it manifests in different ways. Like, for example, I'll tell you, there was a patient that I had that I helped and she came from a very conservative Christian background. And she realized that every time she wanted to have sex with her, uh, and we're talking about like penile vaginal intercourse. So every time she wanted to have that with her partner, 
Um, she just couldn't. And she's in her 60s. Okay. So this is not somebody that's like 20 years old or something. This is somebody that's uh, a little bit older. She's uh, maybe late 50s, early 60s. So anyways, and she had been married before and she has children. And so now she's in a different relationship and she found it very difficult. And um, so she and I started talking and we realized that she has this condition called vaginismus. So vaginismus is where um, the muscles surrounding the vagina tighten up in anticipation of pain. So there's fear in your head that there's going to be pain with penetration. And so then these individuals have a difficult time with like say tampon insertion, with uh, pelvic exams, with getting like a pap smear, with um, any type of penetration. And you know, that of course, uh, penovaginal intercourse is related to that. And so, you know, she just wasn't able to figure out for herself why that was happening. Um, and, and she didn't even realize that that's what was going on and that's what was happening for her. And so then when she and I started talking, we were able to put words to what was happening for her and then um, realized that, you know, once we realized that she had vaginismus, it was important for us to kind of work through her mindset and her thoughts, you know? So one of the things we do in coaching, which is really, I think, amazing. Um, and so just to give you a background, I am, aside from being a board certified OBGYN, I am a coach. I went through the Rutgers program, Rutgers um, University has a coaching program. And also I did a year long course through the University of Michigan. Um, they have a program called sexual counseling and education. So it's the best one for physicians and healthcare providers. So I did a year long course in that. And then I also am now um, applying to be a fellow with the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. It's called Ishwish. So anyways, so once we were able to put words to what her condition was, we were able to try to figure out how best to help her. And for this, for vaginismus, there's two modalities that we use. One is can either be coaching or speaking with a sex therapist. Both of those things will work, right? Because it's not only is it a physical reaction that's happening, but it's also one mental right? There's a mental component to it. And one of the most, one of the biggest things that I always say is that the brain is the biggest sex organ because, you know, so much, not only does it elicit like a physical physiological response during, you know, when we're intimate with somebody, but also you have to be like mindful when you're, you know, being intimate with somebody, because if you're not, your body's not going to respond or it may respond but you're not all there, right? And so um, so for her, what we did is, you know, I helped her with the coaching aspect of it. And then I also told her with this condition, vaginismus, is that you also have to go to pelvic floor therapists. The reason why is because those pelvic floor therapists are trained to work with tight muscles in the pelvis and also to be able to use dilators. And so those dilators help to get the body used to penetration. And then they increase the sizes gradually. Um, but really, I mean, it's a two pronged approach for somebody that deals with that. So that's why, you know, I think that coaching is really, really important. And, and so then when we talked about what her thoughts were, you know, her thoughts in her head, and that's the reason why I mentioned that she grew up in a very conservative Christian background is that she, she felt that it was wrong what she was doing because she wasn't married to the individual yet. She's engaged, but she's not married yet. And so for her, in her mind, it was wrong. 
And so when she realized that that's what was happening, you know, she decided that she would just wait to have sex once she was, because she knew that this was only happening now. And that when she was married to her previous partner, she didn't have this issue. And so for her, she realized what was happening once we started talking. And then once she started to realize a solution and, you know, I'm happy to say that she's doing really well now and she's gone and um, met up with a pelvic floor therapist who's been helping her with the muscles in her pelvis and helping her to relax and um, to be more mindful um, when she is experiencing some type of, you know, penetration and to talk through those fears that she may be having. But now that she knows that, you know, what was really causing her muscles to tense up is the, is the thought that this was wrong, it's sinful, whatever, um, you know, now that she's not having sex with her partner, she doesn't feel that anymore. So that's why coaching is really important. And I think that, you know, as you can probably well imagine that a doctor in a doctor's office really does not have time to go through all of that, right? I mean, they barely have time to sit down and say hello to you without just rushing through the exam and saying, okay, so, you know, what brings you in, blah, blah, and here's your treatment and you're mm -hmm. out the door. Yeah. So it sounds like your coaching background is really helping in scenarios like that. And I'm sure so many of the folks that you do see even in a clinic could benefit from a more coaching type mentality yeah. or that side of things. 100%. When somebody does book a telehealth visit with you, that isn't necessarily for coaching. Are you just using your coaching background to develop a plan that's going to work for them? Or do you then recommend, I think this is maybe a different approach that would be a little bit better suited for what I'm hearing from you? How does that kind of work for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's tough. So so there is a thing like, you know, if, if a person calls specifically for coaching, right? So coaching, so my telehealth and my coaching are two separate entities because you can't combine them. Coaching, in coaching, you're not supposed to give out medical information, Okay. you know, whereas if I'm doing the telehealth part of it where I'm dealing, you know, because with telehealth, I'm prescribing meds, right? I'm giving individuals perhaps hormones if they want hormones for their perimenopause, menopausal health. I'm giving them vaginal estrogen. I'm helping them in that sense. I'm giving them medication for their libido. Um, and so with that, I can definitely incorporate coaching, right? Because you can't, I mean, and exactly what you said, I feel that coaching really helps a lot, actually, with my background in coaching. I mean, I have individuals often that come to me for decreased libido, they come for decreased arousal. Actually, decreased libido is probably the number one um, concern that women come to me for. And whether it's mismatched libido or just that their libido has changed and they, you know, that they're concerned. Like, you know, I think oftentimes we pathologize a lot of things, right? So I think what's important to understand is that if it's not a problem for you, then it's not a problem. End of story, right? Like it's, it doesn't bother you, it's not causing you any problems, then hey, who cares, right? I mean, like, not who cares, but I mean, like, it's not a problem. So we shouldn't make it a problem. I think that, you know, when if libido is starting, like, you had a really strong libido before or very high libido, and now it's down to nothing. And that's really bothering you. And it's really concerning you. And it's causing you distress, mm -hmm. then absolutely, you should seek help and find a provider that knows that can kind of delve into topics with you mm -hmm. that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and then they can really help get to the root cause of the problem. And I think that that is super important when you're dealing with very sensitive topics. 
Are you seeing that there are more medical professionals that are all also taking on this coaching side? I didn't realize that there was even a coaching program specific for uh, physicians and doctors out of University of Michigan. I'm curious, is there kind of a trend in the medical field to incorporate more coaching techniques? So, so just to clarify, so the course that I took through the University of Michigan was specifically geared towards sexual counseling and education. Okay. So I didn't learn any coaching from them. Oh, it was it. more about sexual health topics. So it was about like basically like medical conditions or, you know, again, we weren't pathologizing everything, but, you know, it was learning more about like the sexual response cycle, the female sexual response cycle. It's learning about um, you know, conditions such as, you know, vaginismus, or it's learning about how to take like a cognitive behavioral therapy approach to, okay. you know, biopsychosocial model, learning all about that and how we approach patients and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. also about teaching. So, um, you know, so that if I wanted to teach somebody a course on sexual health, um, then I could devise a course, you know, okay. going through like listing like smart objectives and blah, blah. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of what that focused on. Okay. The coaching uh, was separate and it was through Rutgers. So they were, these were two different programs that I did. Um, and the Rutgers, it's not specific for physicians. Physicians can take it. Actually, the coaching program in Rutgers is actually called Leadership Coaching for Organizational Performance. It's focused actually more on executive coaching. Uh, but I use it more for what my intention is, which is for sex coaching and uh, life coaching. So that's what I use that for. And uh, definitely there are a lot of physicians I see now that are going into coaching. And so the benefit of coaching is that it's not restricted to state lines. So somebody that's saying that, let's say that are listening to your podcast right now and hears me and say they were in California and wanted me to coach them, I could do that. I don't have to have a specific California license. Whereas if they wanted to see me as a telehealth practitioner where I'm prescribing meds, they need to, the patient needs to be in the same state that I have a license in. Okay. So for example, um, I can see patients in New York and Michigan because I have those two state licenses. Um, but I wouldn't be able to see a patient specifically that was in California. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. So coaching is actually national and international because it, it's not restricted by the same rules as yeah. medicine is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And actually I've had a patient, like I was coaching, sorry, not a patient, a client that I was coaching that was um, located in Saudi Arabia. She found me on TikTok, which was really oh. cool. And um, yeah, we did like uh, coaching sessions through Zoom and it was, it was really good. Tell me about when you feel the most connected to your work and the most excited and inspired. There are so many things that you're doing and it sounds like you do just love to help women and love to solve their problems. Um, but I'd love to dive into that more. Just when do you feel really successful in what you're doing? Yeah, I think to me, what I love is when I get a chance to help um, women, I, I love to empower and educate women. And so um, when I'm able to teach them and they get all these great like aha moments and especially specifically through coaching, when they realize that perhaps it was their mindset that, you know, was holding them back or it was the thoughts in their head that keeps telling them that they can't do something or that something is wrong, shameful, dirty, embarrassing. 
and and then just to see them move forward and to see how that impacts not only them but also their relationship i think is pretty awesome also i think um just teaching you know like i i just think that there's there's no shame in admitting that you don't know and I really actually appreciate it when patients will say, you know what, hey, listen, I never really learned about the female anatomy or I just don't know, you know, and um, and I was taught that it was shameful if I, you know, learned about it, whatever. Um, and then just to kind of go through it with them, right? Not judging or shaming anyone, but just simply just teaching and so that they can then empower themselves and learn about their own bodies. and. Um, I think that to me is is really powerful and what I really enjoy. So I, I love I love sexual health. I love perimenopause, menopause. I love um, helping women, especially because not a lot of practitioners feel comfortable with those topics. Yeah. And you're also doing so much of that education and empowerment through your podcast, the Muslim Sex Podcast. Can you tell me more about your goals there and your approach and um, what you're hoping the podcast does. I mean, it seems like it has been really good marketing for you. It's been a way for you to get out a ton of um, just specialty education that folks otherwise maybe wouldn't have access to. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear more from you about that. Yeah. So so the Muslim Sex Podcast is really just like a passion project. <laughs> I, I haven't figured out how to monetize that yet. But um, really what I enjoy about it is that I'm able to bring information uh, about different medical topics to the forefront and also how just I think realizing how everything relates to intimacy and sexual relationships, to be honest. I mean, I you know, you may think like, Oh, what, you know, what does GI disease, you know, gastroenterology have to do with, you know, intimacy, but it has a lot to do with it. And I, in fact, I had just had a guest on uh, last week and we had such a fun conversation talking and she's a GI doctor. And, you know, we just had a great time discussing how different aspects of your gut health can affect your intimacy and relationships and how that kind of um, pans out specifically when talking about patients that are dealing with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis and they end up having fissures and things like that. Or if they have part of their colon resected and they have an ostomy bag, how does that affect their relationship? How does that affect their intimacy? Right. And these are things that like you may not be thinking about because it's not thankfully something that, you know, you're dealing with, but for somebody that is dealing with that, how do they navigate that, right? And how does that affect their body image? Um, I've had on a few psychiatrists basically talking about, I had one talk about anxiety in relationships, which was fantastic. And just different ways that anxiety shows up and how it kind of sabotages our relationships. Um, I've had another practitioner come in and talk about sleep and how when we don't get enough sleep, and she's, that's her focus, and how that affects our livelihood, how that affects our relationships. And I had another practitioner come in and talk about depression and how that affects our relationships. So really just interesting, I think, and uh, point of views and how everything kind of goes back to relationships. And if not, even if you're not in a relationship with anyone, you know, relationship with yourself and how is this affecting you? And, um, you know, and how can you move forward? And really, that's my goal is to just bring forth, you know, all these medical doctors from all over, which are, it's really amazing, and talking about what their specialties are. I've had 
the doctor that was featured in the New York Times come in and talk on my podcast. Um, I have something scheduled with a doctor that wrote a book called Becoming Cliterate. And um, just, I know. <laughs> I like that title. I should also give a tech talk about that as well. Um, so yeah, so just lots of different, I've had some sex therapists come on. I've had two, I'm having another third one come on. We've talked about BSM. We've talked about just so many different how we talked about porn addiction, just so many different things. And I guess what I'm trying to do with my podcast is just to normalize it. And the whole reason why it's called the Muslim sex podcast is, you know, it was actually, it was my friend and uh, Alan knows her and she you know, she and I were talking one day and she was like, you know, and she's a lay person and I'm a physician. And she was like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we just, cause she had a, you know, a medical question for me and I was answering it for her. And she said, wouldn't it be great if there was like a podcast that, you know, you and I did, and I would just ask you questions and you would just talk about, you know, women's health, whatever, blah, blah. It'd be so great. blah. And I was like, yeah, that would be fantastic. And she goes, you know, we should call it. <laughs> and she came up with the name and she was like, we should call it like, the Muslim sex podcast. And I was like, no way, I'm not calling it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you know, there's such a huge taboo. And oh my God, what are people going to say? And what are they going to think? And blah, blah, blah. So it took me a long time to just get used to that name and just be like, okay, so it's called the Muslim sex podcast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, now I'm okay with it. <laughs> Almost two years. Um, but yeah, no, so that's kind of how we came up with the name, you know, and she was like, the, you know, that just the name is, you know, going to make people stop and be like, whoa, what's that? And, you know, people associate a lot of things with Muslims, but not really sex, right? So they're going to be like, what's this all about? Um, and so that's kind of how we came up with that name. And so, yeah, so it's stuck. And, um, but just the goal is just to normalize these conversations and talk about things that, you know, we typically don't talk about and um, that, you may not talk about with others or, you know, perhaps you don't feel comfortable. So, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate your approach because you are normalizing using the word sex and vagina in just a normal everyday conversation because that is a part of us. It's a part of our health. It's a part of how we exist in the world. And there really is no reason why we shouldn't be able to talk about sex in a normal conversation um, with folks close to us. So yeah. And I also saw that you have such a wide array of topics and conversations. So um, I was listening to the one about sleep and sleep hygiene. And that was really interesting just to hear how um, sleep can affect you as much as alcohol can even affect you with driving, which. Oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it always makes me nervous, to be honest, like driving post call. Like, a, so a lot of times as, as OBGYNs, I can only talk for myself is that, you know, we'll do like a 24 hour call. We'll do like a 24 hour shift. And some nights you're able to sleep. Other nights it's so busy. Yeah. And you are exhausted. And I really like sometimes I worry about driving home, you know, after a long shift like that, because it is exhausting. And it takes me maybe when I was younger, it took me, you know, a little bit less time to recover from a call like, you know, that's super busy. But now it like takes me like a, a few days and it is just it's exhausting. And for anyone that tells you it's not, they're lying. <laughs> because it is, it is, you are tired, you mm. know, and, um, and babies, you know, they don't come nine to five, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> they come mm-hmm. anytime they want. So, yeah. So, how often are you on call? Is it just depending on when your patients are likely to give birth or how does that work? 
Yeah, no, I mean, like we, you know, we, so currently I, uh, again, it's only about my schedule. So the way that it works for me right now is I am with um, a hospital and I let them know. So because I'm not employed by them, I'm contracted with them. Okay. Uh, just the way that I've decided to do things. And um, so I tell them how many shifts a month I want. And uh, I am definitely decreasing that because for me, I just don't find it to be, I just don't like the way I feel afterwards because it's, uh, I'm just exhausted. Your whole next day is kind of shot. Um, it's just tiring. It really is. And um, it's just, uh, I, I know there's better ways for me to spend my time. Well, Dr. Sadoff, you've done so much in your career, and I know that you still have big plans on the horizon. Um, one last question for you. What's one thing that you wish you knew earlier on in your career? Yeah, that there is really, there's no one way to get to your life streams. I think that, you know, sometimes we feel that if we try one way or one route and it doesn't work out, then perhaps we've failed. But realizing that you are where you are and because you're meant to be there. Does that make sense? So it, like in this place in time, you know, like I'm meant to be doing what I'm doing right now, you know, and maybe in my head, you know, I could have been like, wow, you know, I should be this far ahead or this doing this or doing that. But realizing that I am where I am because that's where I'm meant to be. And I think that that gives a lot of peace and a lot of, it allows you to give grace to yourself, you know, and knowing that you can always pivot. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine and she's like, I can't believe how many different things you've done. <laughs> and it's because I just, I'm just constantly like seeking, like what, what is it that is my true passion? What do I absolutely love? What it gets me like super excited, you know? And I think that sometimes we fall into a rut thinking like, gosh, you know, I don't really enjoy what I'm doing anymore. And I don't know, do I have any other skills? And I just, I just want people to know that it's never late. It's never too late to grow, you know? And I find that with all the courses that I've taken and I've invested in myself so much time and energy and just the information that it's, it's only helped me. Like it's only helped me to become a better physician where I can truly understand a patient's concerns, where I can really see what she's going through, if she's having some sexual health issues. And I find that it's just, it's just never too late. You don't have to be so fixated on, you know, well, this was my goal and I could only, I'm only an OBGYN and this is the only thing that I can do. I can only deliver babies. You know, I can't do anything else. And I would just really um, question that and say, no, there is so much else that you can do, you know, and to never give up on yourself. I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. No, I think that advice makes a lot of sense, especially for you coming from such a traditional path where the uh, medical school and residency and working in a hospital, working in a clinic, that all is a really traditional path that many folks have done before. And instead of pivoting when you felt like you wanted to do something else, you just added in more and uh, titrated back a little bit on working in the clinic and in the hospital. So I think that's really interesting. It's you don't have to stop doing something that you enjoy just because you want to try something else. And you're a big testament to that, that you can do so many things. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, I, and I, you know, it's, it's been fun along the way and I have, I've just been learning so much. And for me, it's just knowledge is just 
power and I just really, really enjoy it. I love, um, when I was in elementary school and college, I used to love getting books, like just the smell of a new book. I don't know. I just, I still, to this day, I, I order books and I just love it. I love cracking it open and reading and just holding books. I'm not really into like Kindles as much. I just like to have the book in my hand and read. Yeah, it's like opening up a whole new world, which I feel like is what you've done with all of these other endeavors, even starting a TikTok and a YouTube channel and a podcast and going to a coaching school. Um, those are all new worlds that are helping to expand yours. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. For folks that are listening that do want to find you, where can they, where, where should they look? Yeah. So, well, I, I want, first and foremost, I want to say thank you so much to you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. It was great talking to you and um, absolutely. So they can go on my website. I have a website called Dr. Sadaf, D-R-S-A-D-A-F.com. So it's drsadaf.com. They can go to my um, my socials, which are on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN. You can find me on uh, YouTube at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'm also, I have the podcast, Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm accepting new patients right now in my telehealth. I have a retreat coming up. I didn't even mention that to you. Oh my uh-huh. gosh. So I have a retreat in uh, September 2024. We are going to Morocco. It's going to be awesome. Yes, it is going to have yoga. It's going to have all this thing. I have, I'm doing it with another physician who is um, going to be talking about, she's an OBGYN, but she focuses on nutrition. And so we're going to be, ta- she's going to be talking about nutrition as we get older and things that are good for us. And um, I'm going to be talking about sexuality and mindset. And uh, we're going, it's called Love and Nourish. And it's with uh, Carrie Retreats, Q-A-R-R-Y Retreats. Um, but they can go, people can go to my Instagram, which is Dr. Sadaf OBGYN. And go to my beacons link on there and uh, find out more about the retreat. But yes, so, um, and you can even do like a payment plan for the retreat if you wanted. But anyways, it's going to be super good and awesome. And we're going to go to two and everything. Once you get there, you have to, of course, you know, buy your flight there. But once you get there, everything is paid for already. You will have already paid for it. So your food is included, um, the yoga, the sessions, and then we're going to be exploring the country as well. Okay, amazing. I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes. And then I'll also be on the lookout for your TED Talk um, after you do that. Yes, on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.